There's a sweet spirit here this morning. And I am so grateful that the Lord has blessed us with his presence. And to know that when he shows up, my friend, he's going to do something. And I believe he's going to do that today. Well, today we're going to look at a man that I think you're going to admire and appreciate. We're going to look at John the Baptist as we've been looking at different portraits throughout the Bible. John the Baptist, the Lord placed a word upon John the Baptist that he placed on no other. He said he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest man who ever lived. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to read the first 11 verses of that chapter. And then we're going to turn over to chapter 11 and read verse 11. So with your Bibles open and with a heart to receive the Word of God, would you stand with me in reverence of reading God's holy, infallible, inerrant Word of God? Chapter 3, verse 1 of the Gospel of Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness... Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warn you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit worthy of repentance." And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of these trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now turn over to chapter 11. And I want you to read what Jesus said In verse 11. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, 
There has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Father, we're so grateful to be able to study people like John the Baptist and to see their zeal, their love, their commitment, and their faithfulness. Help us, dear Lord, to be men and women like a John the Baptist that is willing to stand no matter what the cause may be. Father, may you anoint this time of the preaching of your gospel. May the word of God go forth as a two-edged sword. And Lord, may Christ be exalted and lifted up. For the Bible tells us that if Jesus is lifted up, all men shall be drawn unto him. And that is what we want to do. Help me to hide behind the cross. And may we present Christ and he who crucified. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I'd like to ask you a question. How do you measure real greatness? Now, we hear a lot about greatness. We hear people say in the sports world, Michael Jordan was probably the greatest basketball player that ever played. We hear that even in the golf world that Tiger Woods was one of the greatest golfers and Jack Nicklaus and some of those people. We've heard about people who have power and possessions and we kind of place them in a category of greatness. But I remind you what F.B. Meyer said about greatness when he talked about the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he talked about John the Baptist and that the Lord Jesus Christ placed upon him that title of greatness. He said, John never fished for compliments, yet was paid the highest compliment that was ever made to someone. The life and ministry of John was never about him. There was never any self-promotion or self-exaltation. So, greatness, a lot of times, is associated with position. A lot of times, it is associated with power and prestige. Hitler was a powerful man, but he certainly was not a great man. He had power He even had possessions. Real greatness does not lie in popularity. It does not lie in possession. It does not lie in position. And it does not lie in power. But real greatness lies into the character of a man. A.W. Tozer said this. True greatness lies in character, not in ability or position. Now, when I think about John the Baptist, John the Baptist had popularity. People were coming from everywhere. 
and they were hearing John the Baptist preach, repent. But I remind you that it was not his popularity brought greatness to him. He had power. The Holy Spirit of God had anointed this man to preach like no other man had ever preached at that hour. But then it was not power that brought greatness. I believe that when Jesus looked into the heart and into the life of John the Baptist, he saw something about him that he saw in no other one. And that was his greatness. What kind of man was John the Baptist? What I want us to do today is go back and do a little life studying of John the Baptist. And just began to help us to get a glimpse of why Jesus said he was the greatest man who ever lived. So let's do that. First of all, I would like to kind of break it up into three different categories as we think about the life of John the Baptist. First of all, the announcement of John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 says, and in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. John steps out on the scene. 400 years, God had been silent. From Malachi to Matthew, there had been no prophet. And it seemed as if heaven had become brass. And that God had been silent. And all of a sudden, here comes this man. And this man comes in a manner of preaching like they had never heard preaching before. The Bible reminds us in John chapter 1 verse 6 that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So he steps out on the public arena. He comes as a preacher. He comes as a prophet. Now, he didn't look like a preacher. He didn't look like any ordinary religious leader. In fact, the Bible goes in detail of the way that he looked. The Bible describes his appearance in verse 4. Look what he says. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather's belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. I like what John MacArthur said describing John the Baptist. John MacArthur said his garment of camel's hair and his leather belt about his waist were as as plain and as drab as the wilderness in which he lived and preached. His clothes were practical and long, wearing, but far from being comfortable or fashionable. He was much like the first Elijah in that regards in 2 Kings chapter 1 verse 8. His diet of locusts and wild honey 
was as spartan as his clothing. It was nourishing, but little else. In other words, his garb. The Bible says it was rather coarse, rough, covering. Now that was very common back in the days of the prophets. That when you would see a prophet, that they were clothed in that manner. And so, no doubt that when people heard John the Baptist preach, they thought, this is no doubt a prophet of God. And certainly he was a prophet. And the Bible says that he ate locusts and wild honey. In other words, he would take the locusts and there they would, he would fry them in honey. And that would be his nourishment of the day. He ate like a prophet. He looked like a prophet. He talked like a prophet. He was a prophet of that very hour. But here's what's so amazing. He was sent by God with a particular message. I mean a message that had not had been received or heard before. First of all, you'll notice in verses 2 and 3, it was a message that he delivered. Listen to what he says in verses 2 and 3. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Very simple, was it not? I mean, here was a man preaching repentance. Repentance. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. J.A. Brodus He said something very important, I believe, when he spoke about the words of John the Baptist. He said, wherever this Greek word is used in the New Testament, the reference is to changing the mind and the purpose from sin to holiness. I don't know if you realize it or not, but it seems like that word is beginning to be forgotten in most of our churches today. Church growth expert says, oh, you don't want to alienate people by calling them to repentance. But my friend, I'm here to tell you that unless you repent, you will not find and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We have what is known easyism salvation. All I've got to do is just believe Jesus is Christ and that he died on a cross, buried in a grave, and rose again. My friend, there's more to it than this, just that. That is that a man comes to an understanding under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that he must repent of his sins and then turn to God. You don't turn to God and then repent. You repent and then turn to God. And so, my friend, Jesus spoke about that. Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, verse 3, He said, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
You hear what Jesus said? He says, unless there's that element of repentance, in other words, a 180 degree turnaround, turning from your way of walking into sin, turning away from that sin, and then walking toward God. That is what repentance is all about, my friend. I like John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he didn't beat around the bush, did he? He didn't cut any corners. My friend, I want you to understand, he didn't pull any punches. John the Baptist looked at the people there that day, and I believe he pointed that finger at them, and he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. My friend, verses 7 and 8, is as if that he pointed his gospel gun and to these religious leaders, and he fired both barrels. Listen to what he said in verse 7 and 8. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warn you to flee from the wrath to come, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Amen. He did not beat around the bush, did he? He pointed his finger right at them, and he pointed to their sin, and he said repentance. Peter Cartwright was a circuit-riding Methodist preacher. He was what you would call one of these hellfire preachers. He didn't... He didn't push anything back. I mean, he was a man of God that would preach with fire and brimstone. As he was preaching one day, there was General Jackson walked in the door. Andrew Jackson. Somebody pulled the, the coattail of Peter Cartwright. He said, Andrew Jackson's in the audience today. Cartwright just kept on preaching, just kept on preaching. A few minutes later, somebody pulled his coattail again and said, General Jackson is in the audience. That went on for about four times until finally Cartwright turned around. He says, well, you tell General Jackson that unless he repents, he's going to die and bust hell wide open. My friend, I like that kind of preaching. Doesn't beat around the bush. So, this was a message of John the Baptist. And so, he was known to preach repentance. But he was known for not only the message that he delivered, but he was also known for the Messiah that he declared. The ministry of John the Baptist. So beautifully well done. Was for the purpose of announcing the revival, the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. John chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 says, This man came for a witness 
to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. In other words, John the Baptist was sent as a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was sent for the purpose to introduce people to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what made him great. His whole life was for the purpose of telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 3, verse 3. Look what it says. Prepare the way of the Lord and to make his paths straight. The image, of course, there is one who goes before a king. And he prepares the way. He's the forerunner, making sure that everything is taken care of and everything is in place that when the king comes, he's preparing for the arrival of the king. And so John the Baptist looked at this as a tremendous responsibility that he was to go and prepare the way for the king of kings, the forerunner of the Messiah himself. That's what made him so great. For the message that he delivered and the Messiah that he declared. Listen to what the Bible says there in verse 11 of chapter 3. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, can you imagine one day, as John the Baptist was preaching such a word, then all of a sudden, out from the crowd, there's one that appears. And it was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I believe when John looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that there was a fire that went in his soul. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is He of whom I have said, After me comes a man who was preferred before me, for he was before me. One of the things that made John the Baptist such a great man, he was telling people about Jesus. You want to be a great man? You want to be a great woman? Start telling people about Jesus. And Jesus will look upon you. There is a great man and a great woman. He said to his disciples, John chapter 1 verse 30, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. John never was one trying to draw attention to himself but always putting the spotlight on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know, I'm amazed when I look at a lot of preachers today. Some of them are so stuck on themselves that they can strut sitting down. Have you ever noticed that? They're so proud and egotistic. But not John the Baptist. John the Baptist never was wanting to draw the limelight on himself. But always pointing the light on the Lord Jesus himself. So we've looked at the announcement of John the Baptist. Let's, whatever happened to John the Baptist? Let's think for a moment the arrest of John the Baptist. Not only the announcement of John the Baptist, but the arrest of John the Baptist. The public ministry of John the Baptist was short-lived. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Put into prison. Approximately a year after he announced that the Lord Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Approximately a year, the Bible tells us that John the Baptist was arrested. Now, why in the world was John the Baptist arrested? Well, of course, by his preaching, you can certainly tell he wasn't trying to make uh, uh, himself popular and trying to influence people as friends. He was very pointed, very plain. But there was something very specific about his preaching that made him to be arrested. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 14, verses 3 and 4. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's Philip's wife, because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. He was very plain, And very pointed. I want you to notice that before we get to what happens to John the Baptist, I want you to notice something else about John. And that is the doubt of John. The doubt of John. How long he was in prison, I do not know. Possibly a year. I'm not sure. But while he was in prison... The Bible reminded us that he began to struggle. And he had a conflict of faith. There was doubt and discouragement came into his life. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 11 verses 2 and 3, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ... He sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Now that doesn't sound like John the Baptist, does it? I mean, John the Baptist was so assured 
that when Jesus stepped from the crowd, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. But oh, friend, I want to remind you, John the Baptist had clay feet just like you and I. John the Baptist experienced a set of circumstances that brought about discouragement and doubt in his life. He brought, it brought about not only because of the place where he was at, but because of the length of that particular time and period. The Bible says, John was saying, I have believed and even proclaimed you as the Messiah. But was I wrong? Was I wrong as the scripture speaking to us? John was experiencing a crisis in his faith. He was struggling in his heart. The doubt of Jesus of being the Messiah at this particular time. Now let me explain to you about the set of circumstances just for a few moments. John is in a dungeon. The Bible says that dungeon is underneath the palace of the Macurius palace. Dug deep, deep, deep down underneath that palace. It's dark. It's dreary. It's depressing. Very little bit of fresh air could get into the place. The place, the smell was almost beyond acceptable. And John had been in that dungeon for almost a year. And John, no doubt, probably was thinking, why am I here? Why doesn't Christ come and rescue me? Is he really the Messiah? Why didn't he come and rescue me? And then possibly he was thinking like some of the other disciples. Jesus had come and he was going to set up a new kingdom. Where is that kingdom? Why didn't he come and set up the kingdom and relieve us from the torments that we're in today? Oh, my friend, I don't want to be too hard on John because, my friend, if you've been a Christian very long, you've had a crisis in your faith before. I certainly have. There have been times of doubt and despair in my life. There have been times of set of circumstances where I felt like I was in a dungeon and that heaven was brass and that God was nowhere To rescue me. But oh friend, I want you to understand how Jesus responds to John the Baptist. John the Baptist shared with his disciples his great, great doubt and discouragement. And Jesus in return reminds John something. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 4, 5, and 6. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. 
the leopards are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Oh, my friend, I want you to understand. When you're in doubt and despair, you can always be assured you can rest in the love and the comfort and the wisdom of Almighty God. He understands. He understands where we're at and what we're doing. In our times of doubt, my friend, I want you to drop your anchor on this verse of Scripture. Psalm 72, verse 18. God only does wondrous things. (laughs) Only does wondrous things, my friend. And oh, how we can drop our anchor. When we can't see, when we can't feel, none of our senses are working. My friend, we can place our faith in God and to know that He will never fail us. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying to John the Baptist in that very time. But what happens to John? Well, we've looked at the doubt of John. But let's look at the death of John for a moment. There would be no release for John. Physically, there would be heavenly release. He was going to go from that sail to the glories of heaven one day. But until that time, he was facing an execution. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 14, verses 10, 11, and 12, it says, so he sent and had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her Mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Let's look back at the circumstances of that particular hour that he was arrested. He was arrested by Herod Antipas. Now, Herod Antipas was, of course, the king of that hour. And what had happened is that John the Baptist was arrested for rebuking Herod and his adulterous wife, Herodias, which was his brother's wife. And John the Baptist, he just said, you're in sin. You're in sin. You've broken the laws of a holy God. Herod, like his father, Herod the Great, was very evil. Very evil. Sinful. Given to every sinful, excessive way you can possibly imagine was demonstrated in his life. Herodias probably second to Jezebel, but probably the most wickedest lady on the face of the earth. And the Bible reminds us that had it not been for Herod's fear of the people, he probably would have had 
John the Baptist beheaded before that he did. But here was the circumstances. Herodias wanted John the Baptist's head. And Herod was going to have a birthday party. And Herodias' daughter was going to dance in front of Herod and of all the people that day. Now, the kind of birthday party, it was not the kind that you invite a few friends over and you blow out your candles and sing happy birthday. It was not that kind of a party. It was a party of excessive drinking. It was a party of erotic dancing. It was a party of sexual indulgence. And the dance of Herodias' daughter She danced in such a manner that it inflamed the passions of the people of that hour. Herod opens up an offer to Herodias' daughter. And he says, you can have anything that you want. Well, that's exactly what Herodias was wanting to hear. And she goes and she begins to confide and begin to talk to her daughter, saying, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. And the Bible reminds us in Matthew chapter 14, verse 8, give me John the Baptist." Head here on the platter. And he makes an oath and he sent and beheld John in the prison. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel and brought it to her mother. What a way to die. But what a martyr that John the Baptist was. A.T. Robinson... He said that it cost him his head, but it's better to have a head like John the Baptist and lose it than to have an ordinary head and keep it. (laughs) And that is so true. Uncle Buddy Robinson was a Nazarene preacher. And I like what he said. Uncle Buddy said, Oh Lord, give me a backbone as big as a saw log. Ribs like the sleepers under the church floor. Put iron shoes on me and galvanized breeches. Give me a rhinoceros hide for a skin and hang a wagon load of determination up in a gable end of my soul and help me to sign the contract to fight the devil as long as I've got a fist and bite him as long as I've got a tooth and then gum him till I die. (laughs) I like that, don't you? We need more preachers like Uncle Buddy Robinson, boy. Well, that's exactly the kind of preacher John the Baptist, but it cost him. It cost him his head. Very quickly, let me share with you in closing one last thing. We've talked about the arrest of John. We've talked about the announcement of John the Baptist. But what about the assessment? Of John the Baptist. 
John Solomon made the statement in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. A faithful man who can be found. My friend, there's some who like to brag about what they've done. There's some that who like to brag about who they know. But greatness, my friend, is about people who hardly ever think about themselves. That's the way John the Baptist was. You see that in that personal assessment of his life. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. I read that at the beginning. Assuredly, I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. What a commendation. What a commendation. Now, I want to remind you where that commendation came from. It did not come from the disciples of John the Baptist. It did not come from the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. It did not come from others. But it came from the Lord Jesus Himself placed his approval and commended him of all men, of all prophets. Jesus said he was of the greatest. And the preeminent assessment of his life, one thing to brag about others, but my friend, when God begins to brag on you, that's when you take note. That's what I long to hear the Lord say one day, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Well done. And my friend, it all determines by our faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the cause might be, but that we stay faithful in proclaiming Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, what a joy to be able to read about a man and to study about a man like John the Baptist and to know that he was one that Jesus looked upon as one of the greatest, if not the greatest prophet the greatest man who've ever been born of a woman. By his example, by the Lord Jesus Christ looking and watching upon our lives, investigating our lives, what would he say about us? What would he say? Would he say that you're faithful? Would he say that you're committed? Would he say, here is a man, here is a woman of God who has a heart for me? What would he say? That is the question for the hour that we are experiencing at this moment. With your heads bowed and eyes shut, Would you ask that question to the Lord today? Lord, what would you say?
If you had to make an assessment upon me and upon my life, could he say, that is one of my children, that is one that who have trusted me, one who has repented of his sins, one that has invited me into their life, could he say that of you? Could he say, here is a man that has committed his life to tell others about Jesus? Here is a woman who lives a godly life. What could he say? Well, my friend, I'm here to tell you that when you ask that question, the Holy Spirit of God will tell you the answer. He will not lie to you. Some, I'm afraid, he would have to say, huh, you look warm today. Some, uh, you're not as faithful as you have been. Hmm. You've never really trusted me. You just pretended. So today, why don't we just get right with him and just do exactly what John said. Repent. Repent of our sins. Come clean and confess it to a holy God and walk with Him today. In Jesus' name.